Well, happy Easter to you. Oh, this is a good morning. It's already been off the chart, I'm telling you. The first service, I thought it was just going to, like, the whole building was just going to go and just explode. There's so much, so much energy in this place. And we wanted to kick off this beautiful morning by just praising the one who is alive. Amen? Amen. Yeah. So we praise today because this marks the greatest sacrifice, the greatest sacrifice that has ever been made in all of history, in all of Christendom, the greatest sacrifice. And I just need to tell you right now, I get pretty excited sometimes when I read God's word. Today I'm going to be a little off the chart, bordering on annoying, because I'm so excited about this king that we, uh, that we serve and that we, we are celebrating today, the one who paid our debt. Friday, many of you, you joined us here at uh, K2 when we, when we reflected on his crucifixion and his death. And many of you took pieces of paper and you wrote down your debt of sin. You wrote down the condemnation that uh, the enemy holds against you, the lies that you believe, the things that are being whispered in your ears that are, are lies. And you took those things and you nailed them to that cross. And today we are celebrating the fact that all of those things have been paid for. In fact, if you want to know how much you're really loved, seriously, you want to know how much you're cherished, just spend some time gazing at that, that Jesus paid it all. Here's the reality, though. If there had been no Easter, if you and I have nothing to celebrate today, if there was no resurrection, then there, there would literally be no forgiveness for our sins. There wouldn't be any hope Pack your bags, head home. There would be no purpose for living at all. In fact, we'd find ourselves completely shackled and separated from God in a world of hurt. So praise God. (laughs) Praise Jesus that Easter is here today, that Jesus is alive, the one who paid it all and raised this life, me and you, from the dead. Over the last couple weeks, Dave and I have been, uh, we've been kind of hunting for the perfect verse. The perfect verse that kind of like explains all of Easter. And I got to tell you, there are a lot of them in the Bible, like great verses that just kind of like proclaim his goodness and what he has done. But we have found it. We have found the perfect verse that really, I think, defines what Easter is all about. Ephesians chapter one, verse three. When we read this, I just have to tell you, we almost hit the floor because we're like, oh, that's good. Are you ready? I think you're going to love this. It's really good. Ephesians chapter one, verse four. Here's what Paul says. You can see it on the screen here. He says it this way, great definition of Easter, praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. That right there, that right there, that whole definition, that's Easter. You're like, wow, I didn't say anything about his death or resurrection or anything like that. No, but it says everything about what that accomplished, that you and I because of what Christ did on the cross, that we are now the focus of every single blessing. Every single blessing. We're the recipients of that. And the key word there is every. This is so cool. It's not just like a little bit, not just tiny bits of what you need, not just enough to get you through, not just enough blessings for today. No, 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 no. Every spiritual blessing. Okay, just take your head and put it in your hands for a second. Rub your temples. Contemplate every spiritual blessing. Where do they come from? What's the verse say? In the heavenly what? 
realms, in the heavenly realms, every spiritual blessing, everything, every, everything on Easter is given to you, everything that we need. In fact, this morning, I just, one, one key phrase, one key phrase is all I want you to remember as we walk out of here. And I want you to take this key phrase and just chew on it and mold it over in your, your, your heart and think about it and tear it apart and put it back together. And just think about it all this week. And here's the phrase, I have everything I need. Humor me and let's kind of say it together. It'll be fun, I promise. I have everything I need. Okay, some didn't participate. Let's try it again. I have everything I need. Everything for this life. There's everything that you need. Not in you, in Christ. Everything that you need for this life, for this world, everything is found in Jesus Christ. I was thinking about the word everything and I was trying to put it into a picture in my mind and one thing just like popped out. What does it look like that Jesus gives me everything? And, and so here it is. Here's the picture that came to, came to our minds as we were playing this. That everything in Christ looks kind of like this. Here it is. Here it goes. It's a vault. <laughs> You're like, what is that? It's a weird, mysterious tunnel. It's a vault. Isn't that awesome? I get this picture of, of this vault, this big door menacing with a combination lock, right? And other security things. And Jesus standing there with a big, huge grin on his face. And he's looking at me. He's like, check. Oh, wait, check this out. Right, 25, 30. This is amazing. This is going to be phenomenal. Click. And he opens it up. He opens it and the door swings open and your eyes adjust and you peer in with Jesus right there. And he's like, this is amazing. Check this out. And what's on the inside? Every, oh, you went to the first service, thank you. Everything that I need. Say it with me. I have everything I need. Flashback, 1987. DuckTales. <laughs> Uncle Scrooge McDuck, right? Right, he had one of these. He had one of these big old vaults. What he did? What he do in it? He swam in his money, and he uh, skied in his money. I mean, he had it all, right? They made him a nicer Scrooge, right? Because he was more benevolent in 87. <laughs> and this isn't a message about, hey, guess what? You're going to open up your wallet, and pff, all this stuff comes out. That's not the type of things that we're talking about this morning. What we're talking about is on the inside, as Jesus opens this up, he goes, everything Everything in here, every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realm is yours. It's all yours. You inherit all of this. What did you do to inherit it? Nothing. You showed up. You inherit all of this. All of this is yours. Yeah, Easter's kind of like that. That's what this day is about. Everything I need is found in Christ. He holds nothing back. It's all there for the taking every richness of God. So what does everything mean? What does it mean? What's actually in there? Okay, I know the blessings. I know it's every spiritual blessing. What is it on the inside of the vault? What's in there? That is going to take months to answer. We're going to go there, actually. Right after, right after this, we're, we're going to actually go there. I'll tell you a little bit more about that later. But if we were to crack open the Bible and start to, to look and, and ask the question, what is everything? What is all the riches that, is, that I have access to through Christ? What is all that? The scripture is busting at the seams to define what everything is. There's tons in the scripture. 
I mean, without even barely trying, I found like a bunch. It won't be on the screen. Just listen to this. Here are some of the blessings available to you if, if you are walking with, with Christ. First Peter 1 Peter 1.3, that, that we become his children and we live in renewed hope. Romans 5.10, we are in restored relationship with God. We're delivered from death. Romans 7.4, we're united with him. We belong to him. Roman 8, Romans 8.1, we're no longer condemned. We live free. Romans 8.11, the spirit of God lives in us and gives us life, life in our mortal bodies. 2 Corinthians 10.4, he fights and he wars on our behalf because we're his children. Philippians 4.7, his peace, ooh, love this one, his peace guards your heart. Don't you love that? It guards your heart. Philippians 4.19, he supplies all your needs from, glor- from his glorious riches from the vault. All your needs are supplied by God. He, Colossians 1.11, he fills you up with joy. Hebrews 7.25, Right now, right now, right here, today, right now, Jesus intercedes on your behalf, it says in, her, in Hebrews. Right now, he intercedes, he represents you. That's what he's doing right now. First Peter 1.5, his mighty power protects you. That's just a tiny bit of everything. Isn't that amazing? Everything you need is found in him, and on, and on, and on, and on in God's word. Small sampling of the enormous storehouse, unlimited supply of grace and forgiveness and strength and wisdom and knowledge, everything you need to live in godliness, to live in this life. Okay, back to Ephesians 1. We just use Ephesians 1.3 as our definition, right? Let's go back there. Because Paul goes on to say, he says, if we have every spiritual blessing, then he goes on in verse 17 to pray for us, to say, then, then I want you to experience that, Paul says. Here's what he said on, on, on the screen here. Check it out, verse 17. I keep asking that, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation that you may know him better I pray also that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope which he has called you to, the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, verse 19, and his incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is like the working of his mighty strength, which he exerted in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly realms. Did you catch what's in Paul's prayer there? He starts off in verse three and he goes, you get it all. If you are in Christ, you get it all. You have everything you need. Here's a small sampling. He says, I pray that you would know the Father better. That's part of getting everything you need is that you would know the Father better. He says, I I pray that you would know the hope for eternity. I pray that you would know his incomparably just great power that's available to you. That's what Paul's praying. And when I read this, man, my heart just resounded with that. We've been planning this day for a long time. We've been planning to be together with you. And I've been praying every day coming up to this point that that you and I would walk out of this place this morning with grand revelation, with this incomparably great vision that God has everything for us. Everything 
And that means hope for the future. That means relationship with him. That means unbelievable power that we have access to every spiritual blessing for this life. And it's available this morning to you, personally to you. And I don't know what that does for you to know that truth, that that great foundation. I'll tell you what it does for me. It makes the things in my life that, that, are, that are, I'm struggling with, the things that, that I ponder in my heart, the, the things that cause me hurt or pain, it brings all of that into perspective to know that I inherit everything from God. That when I am in Jesus, the things that cause me to lie awake at night on my pillow looking at the ceiling and running through my mind to know that he is giving me everything I need to deal with, to have victory in this life. And he promises to meet me in that. That's a really important point because we have a God who is so personal with us that comes to where we are. In fact, we don't have to go much further than the Easter story to understand that. In John chapter 20, we're going to just take a quick, quick, fast sampling of a portion of the Easter story that actually doesn't get told very much because it's, it's, it's later on at night, on the Easter night. And it's not the one that we normally tell a lot on the Easter morning. But it's ironic because after Jesus was crucified and he was, he was uh, buried and, 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 and died on the cross, all his followers disbanded. They, they, they fell apart. They, they scattered. They were devastated. This was not what they thought would happen. They didn't think that this is how it was going to go down. What they really thought is that Jesus would come and set up this kingdom, right? And and that he would ruin the Roman Empire, and that he would take charge and go for it. But instead, Jesus is killed. He's hung up between two thieves. And the disciples are left wondering, okay, what what happened? How did how did that happen? What did we do? Did we mess that up? What did we miss here? And so for several days, while Jesus is in the tomb, for several days, until Jesus rose, these guys are bewildered. They are, they are literally, they're discouraged. They, they're depressed. They're, they're demoralized, really. And three days later, on Easter Sunday, Jesus comes back to life. And that night, that Easter, that Easter night, that evening, he goes, Jesus goes, and he meets personally. He meets with his disciples. Oh, man, I wish I could be a fly on that wall just to see their, what? And then they're, oh, and oh, you know, and all these different emotions, this roller coaster that they go through. And in that room that night, there was great transformation. Great transformation because Jesus gave them everything that they needed. These guys who were cowards in the last three days suddenly found courage. Where for the last 72 hours they felt very empty, they were now extremely empowered. They, they were defeated and, and Jesus, by showing up, took that defeat and that discouragement and now they became daring and full of joy and bold because Jesus showed up and he gave them everything that they needed. Check this out, John chapter 20, verse 19. We're gonna rock through this pretty fast here. That evening on the first day of the week, that was Sunday, the disciples were meeting behind the locked doors because they were afraid of the Jewish leaders. And suddenly Jesus was standing there among them. Wow, standing there among them. He, he went to meet them 
where they're at. And there's a lot that we could comment on here, but I think the most important thing is that Jesus took the initiative. He went and he showed up. What did they need? They needed him. They needed to see him. They needed his presence. He came right away. And here's what he said. Peace be with you. Peace be with you. Immediately imparts his peace and his encouragement to them. And if we were, we don't say peace be with you. We never walk around saying that. But what, what, what we would have said is calm down. I've got it under control. I've got it handled. It's going to be okay. It's all right. He gives them peace. He shows up. He gives them what they need, encouragement. And then he goes on in verse 20. As he spoke, he held out his hands for them to see where he had the nail prints. And he showed them his side where the centurion had had speared him. And they were filled with joy when they saw their Lord. What do they need? What do they need that moment? They needed his love. And that's what he's showing them. You can say, look, look what I did. Look what I did for you. Look, look who I am. Look what I did. This, this, what I'm doing right here, this is love. There's, there's no greater love that you will find than what I have done for you. There's no one that, that can top this. You'll never, ever, ever know somebody who will love you as much as I just loved you. And then in verse 21, he spoke again. And he said to them, this is the second time, he said, peace be with you. Gave them more encouragement. And as the Father has sent me, Jesus goes on to say, so I send you. He's giving them renewed purpose, renewed vision, new life. Jesus is literally saying, I have this great plan. You're over your initial shock. Here's the great plan. The great plan is that we are going to change the world, and I'm going to do it through you. Verse 22, and then he breathed on them, and he said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. He filled them, literally, with his presence. It wasn't enough for Jesus to say, I just want to be with you. I want to be in you. I want you to be in me, moment by moment, all the time. Verse 23. He says this kind of odd statement here. If you forgive anyone's sins, they are forgiven. What is he really saying here? He's saying, do you know what else you need? Forgiveness. And I give that to you. All the debt of your sin paid for. That's why I died on the cross. All of that is paid for. Now what I want you to do is I want you to give that same grace to others. Be generous with your grace. And so he forgave them. And then a few verses later, it's not on the screen here, but Thomas, remember Thomas? Oh, what a great guy. Thomas said, oh, I don't believe. I don't believe until I see it myself. And Jesus showed up again and showed Thomas. Look at, touch, see, it's me. What did Thomas need? Belief. And Jesus met him right there. I love this passage because I look at this and 2,000 years later, nothing has changed. Nothing seems to be different. We are still right here in Easter 2,000 years later and Jesus shows up with us and he gives us everything that we need. Everything. He still meets those needs. And I want to pause here just for a moment. I want to ask you to kind of take inventory. What is it that you need? If you were really to look at the recesses of your heart and your soul, maybe some of the stuff that you don't even talk about, what is it that your heart longs for? 
If it really is true that, that God says, I give you everything that you need, then what is it that you need? Some of you are probably longing for peace. I could use some peace. I could use peace in my family, in my marriage, and in relationships in my life. Maybe some of you have answered, like, I could use some joy. Ha, oh, man, I could use some joy. Maybe some of you could use gentleness. Jesus, I need gentleness and kindness as I deal with my, my spouse, my children. Perhaps you need the ability to, to live by faith because you've kind of been controlling your life. You've kind of been living on your own. You've been, you've been doing it. You've been taking things into your own hands. And Jesus, I need you to increase my faith. Maybe for some of you, you need, you need just hope for tomorrow. Man, it's just hard enough to get through today. God, would you give me hope for tomorrow? Like, I need to know. Monday's going to hit. I, I, I don't even know what's beyond Monday. I don't even know what the rest of my life looks like. I don't have any hope, any hope for the future. God, would you give that to me? Oh, this is a big one. Maybe some of you feel really alone, like the disciples huddling in that room, <laughs> scared feeling exposed, feeling, feeling just fear. It's easy to be in a crowd, isn't it, and still feel just great loneliness. And maybe that's what you need. You need him. You need his presence with you. What is it that you need? If the vault is open, and if it's all yours through Jesus Christ and through his blood shed on the cross for you, what do you need? There's a great verse that tells us, well, whatever it is, though, (laughs) our God is capable. Look at this, Romans chapter 8, verse 32. This is one of those promises where you can actually say back to God, say, God, you wrote this here. Would you meet me here, this promise that you make? Since God did not spare even his own son, but gave him up for us all, won't God, who gave up Christ, also give us everything else? Isn't that beautiful? If you're a father in here, if you a mom who has a son, would you give up your son? No way. I wouldn't, I wouldn't even consider that. I mean, I have a son. I have girls. And I'm like, I wouldn't give them up. Someday some girl gets, you know, is going to come and want me to give them up. But now I'm not giving them up. I'm, I'm, holding, you know, I'm precious little, little girls and sons. And here's God who, who gave up Jesus Christ. He gave him up for us to be nailed on a cross, to pay the debt of our sin. If he's willing to do that, what else is he willing to do? The answer, whatever you need. Whatever it is that you need. Freely, not holding back. Whatever it is that your heart longs for, whatever healing it is, whatever it is in the darkness of your heart, whatever it is that you struggle with, whatever hurt's been done to you or or stuff that you have done, your past, whatever it is, he is prepared to meet you there. We want to take just a couple moments and I want to let you just soak there for a moment. I don't feel like we can move on until you answer this question for yourself. What do you need? And God says, I want to give it to you. What do you need? Spend a few moments and soak in that. I think the troubling lyric at the end there 
is that if he is everything that we need, if we find everything in him, comfort and peace and joy and life, if everything that we need, everything that your heart longs for, everything that you just talked to God about, everything that you want in the inheritance of the vault that Jesus says, come on in, then why is it, why is it that, did you see that last lyric there, that he means nothing to you and you don't know why? Does that trouble you? Because I think if we would actually really admit it and take a really, really hard look at our hearts, that there are times that we would probably admit, we may not even admit this out loud, but just maybe in, in the recesses of our mind, that there are times where even in the face of this great, grand God, even in the face of, of what Christ did for us on the cross, in, in, in spite of all that, the downward, deep inside of us, there are times that even though he's offering us life and peace and joy and all of that, that we come to a place sometimes in our life, whether it be a moment or a season, where it just doesn't really seem to matter. You ever feel that way? What's up with that? Why is that the case? I think maybe, maybe at times because maybe you're in one camp where, where God really doesn't mean anything to you because you actually probably haven't even stepped across the line and really begin to taste what that looks like. To really taste full and understand the, the life that he gives. Maybe you've just been kind of flirting around the edges with it a little bit, but you haven't stepped across the line and placed your faith in him and come into relationship. Or maybe you actually have. <laughs> maybe you consider that you are a total follower of Christ, man. Like you have done that. You've placed your faith in him. But for some reason, maybe in a season of life or, or moments in life, you feel like your relationship with God has maybe lost its flavor, that, that maybe it means not as much to you anymore that it at one time did. And maybe it's because of the, uh, just the motion of life, the craziness of life. And you find that you just have not been turning your heart towards God. And if you would seriously take a look right now and be honest with yourself, you might actually find that, yeah, maybe I've been a little indifferent to what he's done for me. At the root of a lot of that are are many different causes. Some of that is pride, (laughs) Some of it is, yeah, I'm doing okay on my own. Yeah, maybe I've given my life to Christ, but I'm doing okay. And I don't need you, God, as much. Or maybe for others, there's, there's a lot of hurt. There's times in your life where there's a lot of hurt and there's pain. And it seems like all you can focus on, man, I know, God, that you're there, but all I can focus on is this pain and this hurt, and it just is bogging down my life, and all I can see is what's been happening right here, this pain, this hurt, this torment of my heart. Maybe we push God away and hold him with our arms because of fear. Fear that, that he might condemn me for what I've done. or Fear that he won't accept me for who I am. Fear because even though we know God knows everything about our life, but if I actually have to start to admit to him the places where I've screwed up, and so I just don't engage with God. Or maybe I keep God at arm's length because man, no one else has accepted me. Why would God accept me? I've not been good enough for anybody else. Why would I be good enough for him? Whatever it is that keeps us holding our hands out and keeping God at a distance will keep us stuck 
and we start to lose spiritual traction. We just become dissatisfied in our relationship with him. And we show up on Easter sometimes and we look at the cross and we go, yeah, but what does that really mean for me? in the place where I'm stuck and dissatisfied and I can't get any traction. A couple weeks ago, we got nailed by one of those big Salt Lake City storms, right? Where spring is supposed to be here and the birds are chirping and then suddenly they go silent and the clouds roll in. So for the last eight years, I've been driving a great snow-worthy car, Toyota Camry. Yeah, it doesn't work. It doesn't work. And... uh, (laughs) But it's no big deal because I just have to get from Sandy up to the bench. So I'm heading up to Jason's house. I'm just going, you know, not too far. And the snow comes in, and it's just white out. And I'm like, I'll take all the major roads. Have you played this game? It's like a great video game. Real life, Toyota Camry. Picking 7200. What could be wrong with 7200? It's a major road. It should be plowed. We go up. It's not plowed. And I'm heading up, and people are behind me. And I'm starting. I'm like, I'm moving backwards. And uh, people are moving like flies are moving out of my way. And I'm like, go with gravity, go with gravity, go with gravity, go with gravity. U-turn, excellent. <laughs> Have you done it? You're like, eh, I meant to do that. It's good. I don't want to go there anymore. And so you do the U-turn, you know. And like Toyota Tercels uh, uh, and Honda Accords are flying past me. I'm like, what's wrong? I'm in a Camry. And so, so recalculate, go into Jason's house, recalculate, go through the neighborhood. I hit another hill. It's not even that big. And I'm like, come on, come on, come on, come on, come on. And I start going, um, gravity, 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 gravity. I'm starting to wonder. I'm like, dude, I can't even get to this guy's house. What is wrong? Right? And if there hadn't been snow on the ground, my speedometer's like 85. I'm doing two. You know, the wheels are spinning. There's smoke, you know, if there hadn't been snow on the ground. There's guys on skateboards passing me. You know, little ladies, you know, with walkers going, what are you doing? I'm like, no, I'm trying to go. And, And no, I'm just kidding. That didn't happen. But I can't. And finally... Finally, I just give into it and I just pull in, making it look natural, just kind of pull into a parking lot and just kind of sit there. I'm like, I am lame. (laughs) Hi, Jason. Yeah, I can't get to your house. Can you come get me? So he comes and he's, you know, he he drives up in his four-wheel drive, right? Right? With his pinky like steering, you know. (laughs) Need help? You want me to pick you up? Yeah, all right. You know, he's not even engaged as if to mock me, not even engaged in four-wheel drive. <laughs> My car at this point is like a big pillow. You can't even see it. And I'm like, get in. I'm like, thanks. He's like, no problem. Just maybe get a different car. You know, I'm like, yeah, I was thinking about that. Have you been there? Story of my life. I'm stuck. I'm stuck. I'm bogged down. I'm unable to move. And the realization that what I've got, it ain't cutting it. That's what we're talking about here. Is that sometimes when I'm, when I'm holding God at arm's length, when I'm apart from God, I'm spiritually stuck, I'm spiritually dead, what does this mean to me? What is the significance of the cross? Paul talked about this very issue in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1. You'll see it on the screen here. He, he described the spiritual Toyota Camry incident. <laughs> he says, once you were dead, been there, Once you were dead, you were doomed because of your many sins. Because of the sin, the junk in your life, you're dead, you're doomed. You have no spiritual traction whatsoever. John MacArthur, great quote, said it this way. He said, a drowning man stops breathing and there's nothing he can do. If he ever breathes again, 
it will be because someone else starts him breathing. Spiritually dead people need God to breathe life into them first to ever be able to fully live. Isn't that beautiful? See, you can't live without his breath in you. You can't live keeping Jesus at bay. You can't live without his presence, without his essence in your life. That is life. Everything that you need is life in Jesus Christ. But Paul continues here. He says, you were dead. You were doomed because of your many sins. But then in verse four, beautiful, beautiful, rocks your boat. Two little words at the first part of verse four. Look at this here. He goes, you're dead. You're doomed. Keep going. Keep going. Verse four. But God, oh, but God, the two best little words in the whole entire section. He says, but God, these two words unfold this cosmic plan, this huge scope of love that, that I, we, we cannot even fully comprehend this, but God, you were dead, but God, you were living in rebellion against him, but God, you were enslaved by the devil. You were enslaved by your sin. You were enslaved by your flesh. But God, do you see the beauty of that? The two most welcomed words in this whole entire section. See, God could have left us spiritually dead. He could have left us stranded. He could have left us in in rebellion and bondage. But God didn't. And he goes on to say in verse 4, But God is so rich. Oh, picture the vault again. He is so rich, which means beyond our comprehension, beyond anything that that we can understand, he's so rich in what? In mercy, and he loved us so very much. Verse five, that even while we were dead because of our sins, he gave us life when he raised Christ from the dead. It's only because of God's special favor that you have been saved. For he raised us from the dead along with Christ. And we're seated with him in the heavenly realms. All because we are one with Christ Jesus. He says he's so rich. And here's what he did. He raises us to life. He raises us from death. And he seats us in victory. And then in verse 7 through 10, we're going to read this section here, and I know it's a little long, but I want you to see every, every moment in verse 7 through 10 where it's God doing the doing. It's God. It's all Him. Check this out. And so God can always point to us as examples of the incredible wealth of His favor. It's Him again. And His kindness towards us as shown in all He has done. It's all God doing it for us through Christ Jesus. Verse 8, for God saved you by... There it is again, his special favor. It's all his doing when you believed and you couldn't take credit for this. It is a gift from God. Verse nine, salvation is is not a reward for the good things we have done, so none of us can boast about it. In other words, salvation doesn't go on your resume because of the great things you've done. It's all because he did it. Verse 10, for we are, there it is again, God's masterpiece. It's all his doing that he created anew. He created us anew in Christ Jesus so that we can do the good things we planned. He planned for us long ago. That's it. It's all his plan. It's all his doing. It's all his idea to save us, to give us everything that we need. It's his doing. Everything that we need comes through him. 
Go back to verse 7 here for just a moment. We're going to kind of sidetrack. And all of this was done. All the plans were made. All the storehouses are opened up for you and for me. All of this is done so that God can always point to us as examples of the incredible wealth of his favor. God does all of this, all of this doing, so that he can point to you and me as examples. It's time for me to bust out a uh, visual. Hold on a second. I brought my turtle today. Oh, sorry. No, I'm just kidding. It's fake. <clears throat> kind of woke you up, though, a little bit, huh? This guy's mean. He's just mean-hearted. <laughs> That's just weird. But there's, there's an expression. Have you heard this expression? If, if, if you see a turtle on a fence post... You know he didn't get there by himself. Have you heard the expression? Yeah, me neither. But apparently it is. I didn't hear about it until yesterday, and I thought it'd be kind of fun to bring my turtle. But that's what Paul's talking about here. So here's the picture. You're walking down a dirt road, and you look over the fence post, and you see a turtle there, right? That's just kind of weird. But there's something to be learned there, not like a survival skill. But, but what's to be learned here is that the turtle... He's cool, like turtles are cool, but they're not that cool. They can't get there by themselves. So you go, "Uh aha, somebody put him there. That's what the saying's about. I don't really know what the saying means, but I know what it means according to Ephesians here. What God is is saying is he points to us. All these plans are made. Everything is done. Everything in the storehouse, everything that you and I need is done by him so that we can't boast, so that we can't point our fingers to ourselves and say, yeah, yeah, I had something to do with that cross. No, you didn't. You just contributed sin. Everything was done by God. Everything was done by him. The fact that we are placed anywhere is so that God can point to you and me and go, look what I did. Do you see that life redeemed? He's okay. Do you see that life redeemed? Do you see what I did in his life? Do you see what I did in her life? Do you see that I've given that person everything? It's because of me. It's because of that right there. So that you and I become examples of the goodness of God. And last in verse 8, and we're going to bring this to a close. This is all done by his special favor. God saved us by his special favor when you believed. When you believed. You can't take credit for it. It's a gift from God. As we end today, that is what Easter is about. It is a gift from God, this storehouse, but it is only accessible to you when you believe. When you actually come to the point in your life where you step across into relationship with him and you acknowledge the cross of of Christ and you say, everything that you have, God, I need, I need it all. I need forgiveness for my sin. I need grace. I need your, 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 your power. I need your strength. I need your knowledge. I need relationship with you. And I believe. See, it's real easy just to come to church and feel good. It's real easy to just kind of go through the motions and flirt around the corners of God and to do that for a long time. But there will come a specific time in your life where God is calling you to step across and to believe. And the day that happens is the day you get spiritual traction. And you have everything you need. What is that? Life.
Here's the, the side of it, though. Even if you don't believe, even if you don't enter into a relationship with Christ, the inheritance is still there. Isn't that amazing? The inheritance is still there. It's like Jesus saying, all of this in here, all, all of this, it's yours. You just need to believe and step across into relationship with me. Today, as we go into a, kind of end this time and go into a time of, of worship, I'd love for you to contemplate that. Whether you have stepped across into relationship with God and what that would look like for you. And today, if he's calling you, there's no better day than Easter 2009 than to agree with Jesus and his blood shed for you on the cross that he has everything that you need. For some of you, you have done that. You've been a follower of Christ for a long time. And that last line of that song kind of haunts you a little bit because you've been walking in this life and you've been tracking along with God and you have received everything from him. But, but for some reason, for whatever it is, Maybe you've been distracted. You haven't been living in your inheritance. You have not been living full in the life that God has called you to. And today, Easter 2009, is a day to come home to him and say, I want to live my life full in you, Jesus. I've been distracted. It's time for me to rejoice and to praise you in what you have done for me. That's what Easter is about. That's the God that we serve. That's the cross of Christ. Would you join me and pray? Jesus, we come before you. We are humbled. We're humbled at your sacrifice to be nailed on a cross for us take all of our sin to make it your own to pay our debt so that we would have life today we rejoice in that and we rejoice that you are not dead that you have risen and then even as Paul has pointed out here that we rise with you because that's our inheritance that you have given us life anew So, Lord, today we rejoice in that. We thank you that you are a king that is alive, that you are a king that is active, that you're a king that encourages us, meets us where we're at, that forgives us, unlimited power, unbelievable grace, glory through our lives. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for being everything that we need. Thank you for the great, grand inheritance of your riches. Thank you that you're everything that we want. Lord, we commit our lives to you. We commit this place to you. And today we worship you and we honor you. And we pray it in your name. Amen. As we go into worship, we want to take just a moment here to give back to him in our, in our offering too. And this is just a chance again to, to, to say to God, you have given me so much. And just as a token of my appreciation and my love for you, Today I give back. Let's worship.